The Gospel of John, according uh, to John, chapter 6, beginning at verse 58. Now hear the word of God. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live together. Jesus said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe, and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I have never seen a list compiled of the dropouts of Jesus, former followers of his, but I'm sure that list would be considerable. Those who set their hand to the plow but turned back, those whose seed uh, fell into rocky soil and initially it sank uh, deep roots, but then the sun came and scorched the seed and the plant withered away. Those who were curious, those who became disenchanted, those who looked at Jesus as somewhat of a tapas menu to be sampled in small doses. The sixth chapter of the Gospel of John tells us that many of Jesus' disciples, his disciples hear me, hear me, many of Jesus' disciples fell away from him because his teaching was difficult. Jesus could be baffling. Let's acknowledge that. He ignored propriety. He broke the Sabbath. He ate with sinners. He initiated conversation 
with women. He was demanding. He spoke enigmatically and paradoxically. The Gospel of Mark goes so far to say to us that Jesus spoke in parables on purpose so that people would not understand. No wonder many of his disciples sampled him and walked away. In the passage that you have just heard, Jesus is now with the twelve disciples, just the thirteen of them, Jesus and the twelve. They are apparently, among other things, assessing what has gone on, perhaps what has gone wrong. And I, I speculate that the disciples perhaps have uh, begun asking, why have the crowds left? Jesus, um, in response, uh, says to them, asks them this sobering question, Do you also wish to leave? My, my, that's, that's an awesome question. Do you also wish to leave? I, I hope I'm not being overly dramatic to think that, that, that at that point, could have been a hinge moment in the history of the world. He has given the twelve the complete freedom to walk away from him just like almost everyone else. He does not lay guilt on them. He does not lay shame on them. There is no uh, sales pitch to get them to stay. Uh, there is no, uh, let, let's have an attendance campaign. I'm, how many here are ready for another attendance campaign? Come on. I, I remember people, and, and I'm not going to go into details, but I've, I've been to people's houses where I begged them to come back to church. One of them I said, uh, I've never used this reason with anybody else. It worked, but I don't know if it was a good idea. I said, you ought to stay because I'm not going to be here forever. I'll leave and you'll still be here. Well, he came back. But I'm not sure I did the next preacher any favors. Jesus, just ask the question. Do you also wish to go away? In my younger years, as a preacher, I know that I would have said to people, uh, I'd never leave. None of them should ever leave. Maybe that's why the congregation wants a younger preacher, because younger preachers are full of certainty. But I, in my older years recognize that all of us have leaving potential in us. All of us have leaving potential. I'm always drawn to that, that phrase in Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, where we sing, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love.
We've all got leaving potential. In my eight years of retirement, I've sat for the most part about three or four pews from the back. I understand about leaving potential. I debated an atheist once on a college campus. I debated him. I never have decided whether it was a good idea or not to do it. But I debated him because they said no one else in town would debate him, and I wasn't going to let a debate, an atheist have the stage all to himself. I looked his name up this morning in, in Google. His name is Dan Barker. This was decades ago. Dan's in Wikipedia. He is he's probably the most famous atheist in America, uh, written all kinds of books. Um, it said he's been involved in 125 debates across college campuses. My name was not mentioned. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing about Dan Barker. Before Dan Barker was an atheist, he was a Christian. He'd been to seminary. He studied the Bible in its original languages. He was a fundamentalist, believed every word of the Bible was inerrantly true. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, there began to be a few chinks in, in this fundamentalist's armor. And the whole house fell just like that. And he switched from being a fundamentalist Christian to being a fundamentalist atheist. Do you also want to go away? We've all got some leaving in us. We may want to go away because the pastor I loved was appointed elsewhere. We may want to go away because the pastor I couldn't stand is still here. We may want to go away because I was sick and nobody brought me chicken soup. We may want to go away because I didn't get my way at the deacons meeting or the finance committee. We may want to go away because the pastor was immoral or amoral or some of the church leaders were unethical or hypocritical. It could be that life is just too stressful and I got out of the habit. Uh, 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 my clothes are too shabby. Uh, I, I left my uh, shoes in another closet. You, uh, you, I've, it could be anything. It's confusing, I know. Some of you are saying, well, following Jesus isn't exactly the same as faithfulness to church, and I, I would grant you that point, but they're very, very closely related, and it's awfully difficult to keep on following Jesus if I can't keep on being related to a church. All of us have seeds in us that might make it hard to answer that question of Jesus. Do you also want to go away? That is verse 67. In verse 68, Peter replies, I have given some thought in this sermon to preaching the entire sermon on the gap between verse 67 and 
the start of verse 68, but I think it might be a little edgy to preach on something that's not really there. Here's what I think is between verse 67 and verse 68. Verse 67, Jesus asked the question. Verse 68, uh, Peter answers. I think there is a very long and awkward pause between 67 and 68. How do you indicate that in the Bible? Jesus doesn't ask the question of Peter. He asks it of all of them. And my feeling is that there is a lot of shifting of their weight going on. One of them all of a sudden sees an interesting cloud he's never seen before, and he looks at it so he doesn't have to look at Jesus' eyes. They are all shifting their weight because all of them have had some of those same feelings themselves until finally, 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 Peter answers on behalf of all of them. And he answers with a question. I've been preaching on questions this month, and in this sermon you get two for the price of one. Do you also all want to go away? Peter answers with this question. Lord, to whom can we go? To whom can we go? That question is what um, is called a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is. Most of you do. A rhetorical question is one that doesn't require an answer, and an answer is really not to be expected. Bonnie and I will look at each other some evenings, and we say, where do you want to go eat tonight? That is not a rhetorical question. There's an answer expected to that question. Did the Braves win last night? That, that's not rhetorical. Uh, sometimes it might be asked with frustration, but it's not rhetorical. And yes, they did last night. Again. Lord, to whom can we go? That's rhetorical. And although Peter does not expect Jesus to answer, there are plenty of other places where we can go. I've read a, a book not long ago about utopia. This book was a historian who went through seven different communities who considered themselves to be the perfect community. It was rather dreary uh, and depressing reading. Every chapter was about a community that ended up the same. They had some leader who said, I, let's all go out into the wilderness and build ourselves a perfect community. We're going to make this work. We'll build a literal or a metaphorical wall around us. We'll have rules. We'll all love one another. We're going to take care of each other. We're going to do it right. And the world will look at us, and pretty soon the world will, will transform the whole world to become just like us. Most of them were nutty, nutty people. They all failed. You can go see many of those um, communities now because they're history. They're just buildings. Lord, to whom can we go? We can go plenty of places. I, I'll give you the Delta variant 
on what I just said. The variation on building a utopia is just go form a pure church. Let's just pull out and build ourselves a church that is, that is just absolutely holy. We'll write all of our perfect doctrine. We're all going to love one another. We'll get rid of all impurities. We'll never argue with each other. It, we'll, just, we'll just form our own church. I heard a proponent of this saying in a dreamy way, when I got ordained, I didn't get ordained to, to fight in a church. I got ordained to love people. So we're going to just pull out and just have a church where we just love one another. I'll be interested to see how that works out. It's a good idea. But Lord, to whom can we go? Sadly, sadly, there are many in our society right now who have gone to QAnon. In the most unsettling of times, and who would not say that these times are unsettling? They are. It seems like the more unsettling the world is, the more some people are willing to follow the most bizarre and unfounded conspiracy theories. And if you're not sure what QAnon is, uh, one professor that I consulted this week described it like this. It is a combination of sex scandal anti-government protest, science fiction, the Bible, and military ethos. All rolled up into one ball where people are willing to, to go off and believe these things. Even more unsettling was the research done by a conservative research organization that indicated that 25% of white conservative Christians subscribe to QAnon, and that 15% of us in the mainline church subscribe to QAnon. Lord, to whom can we go? If none of those strike your fancy, I guess we can always fall back on the tried and true answer, well, I'll just go back to myself. Me, myself, and I. I am my own authority. Uh, the rest of the world counts for nothing. I'm in charge. I know me, uh, my choice, my body, me, me, me. The fool says in the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, do you remember what the next few words are? Rely not on your own insight. Trust in the Lord in all your heart. Rely not on your own insight. Proverbs reminds us fools despise wisdom and instruction. Peter asks, Lord, to whom can we go? 
Maybe he knows in his own heart where he could have gone had he wanted. What I love about Peter is that even though he asks a rhetorical question, and I said rhetorical questions require no answer, Peter answers his own question. <laughs> isn't, isn't that great about Peter? Lord, to whom can we go? He answers, you have the words of life. We have to come to believe and know you are the Holy One of God. That is so beautiful to me. I don't think Peter understood everything Jesus was saying. I don't understand everything. I don't think Peter was able to put in uh, brilliant theological language uh, everything about Jesus. Neither can I. But Peter has been around Jesus long enough to know you have the words of life, Jesus. There's no one else to go. No one has, no one talks like you do. No one has what you have. You're, you're God's holy one. Peter says, I know it, I know it, I know it. Perhaps I have mistitled this sermon. I titled it, Grasp It. That is an, an imperative, as if I'm saying to you, you should grasp this. But I, if I were retitling it, I would retitle it, Be Grasped by It. Be Grasped by Jesus. Be Smitten. Be so drawn that there is no turning back. Classically, the church has called that surrender. You can think about it as waving a white flag if you want to, or just giving yourself over again. It is not so much my choice to follow him as it is my acknowledgement that he has chosen me and by God's grace has drawn me to him. And there is in that a settled certainty. Grasp it. Be grasped by it. And so I finish these four weeks of questions with this rhetorical question. Lord, to whom can we go? Indeed. Indeed. Amen.